with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It is a Tuesday morning, a beautiful-looking Tuesday morning. It's supposed to be this way most of the day. It was a little bit chilly overnight, I know, when I walked in this morning. Uh, a little bit chilly, no wind, thank goodness. Alan Wishart in the host chair, Steve on the board. And uh, well, we were hoping to have a guest calling in, and we haven't had the phone ring yet. So just to show you how bad things are getting, Reg Fair has now joined us to kill some time. You walked in this morning? I walked. You walked from your apartment building? I walked. Yeah. All right. Didn't push it. Didn't push it. Took well, about an I, hour. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But just for those at home, he has to be here by about 4.30. Yep. So that means he left home at 3.30. Walking through downtown Prince George. Boy, that's a smart move. <laughs> I saw absolutely nobody on the streets. No, no. It would have been pretty quiet, I yes. would think. Yeah, all the bad guys were at home by then, too. Yeah, yeah. No, but... Uh, so what were we going to talk to Chris Bone about? The Community Safety Hub. Oh, that they okay. just opened recently downtown. Yeah. And the biggest thing is, is it's a lot of the different groups, like Government Ministries, Northern Health, RCMP, the city, yeah. getting together in this one hub. Um, but the thing that people have to realize is that it is not for the public. No, you still call whichever group you need right. to get help from. Yeah. And then these people are working together on plans to make the community safer. Right. So. But is it a place where you might go to meet some of those people if you have a meeting with I them? I don't know. It, probably it's, probably scheduled meetings is all it's yeah. for, right? Yeah. Uh, did you uh, did you come down during the uh, weekend at all? We had a we had a camp set outside up outside oh. our window. And uh, I was, well, yeah, yeah, I was going to go out and ask uh, if he got the rezoning done for mm -hmm. residential, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure this isn't uh, zoned residential at all. No. no, I do know when I came in yesterday morning, uh, there was a whole lot of um, cardboard, like looked like it was cases from things like uh, refrigerators and stuff like that, even just lying out there and then. That's I dead, came back out. Of, I came back out a few minutes later, and it was gone. So yeah, that was the that was the camp. There okay. was, it, it, someone had resurrected almost uh, a a small hut mm -hmm. sh uh, out of all this cardboard, and there were a, there was a sh shopping cart and a, a few bags of belongings, and then uh, yeah, yesterday morning uh, the bylaw people uh, do the street mm -hmm. cleaning yeah. downtown, and obviously they took the cardboard and put it into the recycling, I guess. Yeah, because when I saw it, as I say, yesterday morning when I was in, I took a look because I saw it, and it looked like something was propped up against, like, right underneath our window here. Yeah. But just the way it was lying, it was obvious there was nobody there. Right. It was just the cardboard. So um, so we just kept going. Oh, this is Steve. No, okay, so, so this, this is sounding good. Yeah, it sounds like you've got your first guest yes. coming up here. There she is. Okay. There you go. And on the phone with me now is Chris Bone, and I'm hoping I've got the title correct. Chris, you are the Senior Manager of Strategic Initiatives and Partnerships. Is that correct still? It is. Oh, good. So you're one of the ones who hasn't changed titles over there. <laughs> so now... 
The Community Safety Hub, we were just talking a little bit about it, but again, we don't, down here, we don't know that much about it. Um, so basically, what is it and who's involved? So maybe I'll, I'll just take a step back and mm. tell you where the recommendation for the Community Safety Hub came from. So uh, your listeners might recall that Mayor Hall struck a committee called the Select Committee on a Safe, Clean, and Inclusive Community. Mm-hmm. And that committee met for over a year and talked about um, innovative ways to help address some of the complex challenges um, that we're all dealing with, particularly in our downtown area. And one of the observations of that committee was that there was an opportunity for all of the organizations who are helping in the downtown in so many ways to better coordinate and integrate their services. So they recommended that the city lead the establishment of a community safety hub. And so now, um, who are some of the groups that are involved? Obviously, the city is involved. Who are some of the other groups? Really exciting uh, key players are associated with the Community Safety Hub. Uh, First and foremost, uh, we have Northern Health. Mm -hmm. Northern Health has committed uh, a full-time coordinator who works uh, from the Community Safety Hub and works with all of Northern Health's on-the-ground teams to help uh, coordinate services. Mm -hmm. And because of this individual's presence in the Community Safety Hub, She's also been able to link with other partners who are regulars in the hub, and those include uh, the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction, and that ministry has individuals called uh, Community Integration Specialists, and their job is to actually meet people where they're at, uh, particularly unsheltered homeless individuals, Mm -hmm. and work with them to connect them to any ministry support. For example, like income assistance. Okay. Uh, we have BC Housing uh, associated with the hub, and um, BC Housing um, has a huge role in our community around uh, assessing the need for and helping individuals access uh, supported housing, affordable housing, um, shelters, etc. We also have um, the Prince George Native Friendship Centre um, very involved. The Prince George Native Friendship Centre has many, many community services, but specifically related to the city of Prince George, they operate our homeless uh, storage service site that provides uh, bathroom access as well as access to storage of personal belongings mm-hmm. for unsheltered individuals. And when individuals come into that hub to access um, amenities like storage and and bathrooms, they also have the opportunity to connect with outreach workers who have the ability then to connect those individuals to a whole array of community services offered by the Prince George Native Friendship Centre and other agencies. Uh, So do you want me to keep going? we got a whole bunch of organizations tied so how does it all work? Because it sounds then like a lot of these organizations, so nothing, nothing. I don't really know if I should phrase it this way, but nothing people-based, it sounds like, is actually taking place at the Community Safety Hub. That is the hub for all of these organizations to then move out into the community and work with people. 
You've really described it very well. The Community Safety Hub is a venue that provides the opportunity for multiple organizations to connect with each other, both formally and informally, to address um, issues uh, that they have in common, but also to talk about how they can coordinate services uh, in support of individuals in the community. So it's not a front-facing centre in the sense, as you've said, that we don't have people coming into the community hub to be served because all of the agencies that are uh, what I would call resident agencies at the hub, they all have a myriad of other locations uh, either in the downtown or around the city where they actually serve their client base. So this is more about that venue for individuals from organizations to connect. So now the Safety Hub, I think it's only been open for, what, about a month officially? Yes, um, we worked uh, really hard to uh, get it set up so that it could be used as a, a workplace um, for people sort of who are stopping into work because in addition to the agencies I've talked about, we're also connected to downtown Prince George, the Downtown Business mm-hmm. Association, the RCMP. So there's lots of organizations that are circulating through there. So we got it all set up. We've only been open for a month, and um, we're still feeling our way, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, These are new relationships uh, for some agencies. For other agencies, they've talked with each other lots, but there hasn't been, um, I guess, a shared goal as a community in terms of how do we address uh, safety for everyone uh, collectively? And I guess it doesn't help that you set up the age, you set up the uh, community safety hub, sort of right in the middle of a pandemic, and so everything changes. It seems like on a monthly basis. Well, it's interesting. Um, we're very fortunate in that the city has committed significant resource to the Community Safety Hub, including the placement of a full-time site coordinator. Now, one of the things that that site coordinator has done is worked very hard to ensure that all of the policies and procedures are in place Mm -hmm. to uh, adhere to COVID-19 protocols and restrictions. So the space is actually large enough um, that we can accommodate a fair number of agencies at the same time It's also equipped with technology. So on many occasions uh, since opening, we've had a meeting of partners where uh, we might have as many as 60% joining us by Zoom uh, to be part of the meeting. And also, uh, the site was never designed to be a location where people sat all day. Mm. It was designed to be a location that served as really um, a touchdown, a base for people to quickly connect, uh, to discuss some issues of commonality, and then to go back out uh, on the street connecting with individuals and businesses and other interested parties, um, because that's our goal. Our goal is to have coordinated service delivery on the streets. And I guess part of that as well is with the different people meeting and talking about programs that their particular area does, trying to make sure that there's no more overlap than necessary either. 
No, uh, you point out something that's been super helpful for the groups. Um, prior to the opening, we spent a whole month uh, doing what we call orientation meetings, mm-hmm. where each of the partner agencies overviewed their mandates and their services, and they identified ways that they thought they could benefit from working with other agencies mm-hmm. through the hub model. And certainly, um, What we learned through that process was it was less about uh, duplicating and more about really knowing the breadth of services Mm. that are provided by organizations. And more importantly, how do you connect with them? Like if if you're, for example, uh, a bylaw enforcement officer working for the city of Prince George, uh, you're working with a client on the street uh, who would really benefit from some support from Northern Health or an outreach worker. Mm-hmm. How do you connect with those individuals? And so the Community Safety Hub venue is providing that opportunity to do that informally, but also formally. And I was thinking... We were just talking about um, service overlap, so I'm guessing the other thing that these groups can do when they get together is they can say, okay, here's what we cover, here's what you cover. Oh, there's a gap. Yeah, for sure there's an opportunity to address gaps. And there's also an an opportunity um, that we're learning as we're sort of fine-tuning the terms of reference Mm -hmm. for the operating of the hub that many organizations are really wanting to look at this as a way to proactively plan as a collective. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, we know that Prince George usually experiences at least one really cold snap Mm -hmm. uh, every winter. Mm -hmm. So there is interest um, at this juncture, when it's nice and warm and sunny, Mm -hmm. to start planning in a very proactive way about how can we come together and support uh, individuals during those extreme uh, weather events. So that's just one example. Uh, Another example might be where a downtown business community is identifying an issue that's of concern to uh, its membership and think that through the hub there might be some resolutions. So I think it's a real problem-solving opportunity as well. So so it's an unusual situation because a lot of the well, probably the majority of the groups in downtown Prince George working together to some extent. And yet, I can't really say to you, okay, how can people get in touch with the Community Safety Hub? Because they can't. (laughs) No, what we're encouraging individuals to do is to connect with the agencies that they typically connect Mm. with. And then it's those agencies through their residency and participation in the Community Safety Hub that issues can come forward. So really they become a bit of a point person for whatever stakeholders or clients they serve as an organization and they bring that sort of broad view, perspective and issues to the Community Safety Hub discussion table. Okay, so the, like if somebody was in touch with somebody from Northern Health who is at the Community Safety Hub, they look at it and they say, well, this looks like something that somebody from the Prince George Native Friendship Center might want to get involved with, and they can just go to the person at the hub who's from the Native Friendship Center, and they can then decide who would be the best person in their organization to take care of it. You're exactly right. 
And uh, I think um, as we all start to get to know each other really well and that knowledge of available services and connections begin to happen, I think it'll really be a huge support not only for the individuals in our community and the residents, but also for the agencies mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden their support network to do their work effectively grows. Chris Bone with the City of Prince George. Thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about the Community Safety Hub because I think a lot of people had heard about it but didn't really know what it was. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Take a quick break. Be back with more after 9. In a confused and broken world, truth, hope, and light are found in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Join us Sundays at 7.30 p.m. as we host Pastor Chris Gordon of Abounding Grace Radio. Pastor Gordon preaches from all of the scriptures with a special focus on how they testify about Jesus. Brought to you by Prince George Canadian Reformed Church. Don't miss Abounding Grace Radio Sunday evenings at 7.30 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If your loved one has dementia but can still safely wear a mask, there are a variety of things you can do to help them. Use simple words to explain why people are wearing masks and be prepared to repeat this. Demonstrate putting a mask on and help them adjust to wearing the mask by gradually increasing time spent wearing the mask at home. Also be sure to alleviate stress by identifying yourself and providing reassurance. Resident anglers over the age of 65 are now able to choose between purchasing a license for the regular senior rate of $35 or the discounted senior rate of $5. The option of paying the regular rate gives senior freshwater fishers the opportunity to support stocking and conservation efforts in the province while still offering a reduced cost to ensure freshwater fishing is an affordable pastime. For more information on seniors' rates and other initiatives of the Freshwater Fisheries Society of B.C., visit GoFishBC.com. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, a high of 16 with a high UV index. Increasing clouds tonight and a low of 6. For Wednesday, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers and a high of 15. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. a rather festive occasion at a spot just outside of Prince George. Crystal Leeson is the executive director of the Hubble Homestead with 1B. And you guys are opening right on schedule this year, Crystal. We are. We're really happy to be opening on the Maylong weekend. Last year, of course, we delayed our opening to June 1st because, um, you know, things were a little unsettled at the time, for sure. Um, but yeah, we're opening again, May long weekend, May 22nd, the Saturday of the long weekend. And, uh, yeah, we're obviously, uh, still in a pandemic summer. Mm-hmm. So no public events. However, there's, that doesn't mean there won't be anything to do. We have a whole schedule all season long of self-led activities and enhanced programming mm-hmm. that, um, people can come out and enjoy. Now, are you going to have any of the, um, so we say tradespeople out there. Like, is the blacksmith going to be operating? Um, the shop our blacksmith probably won't be, but mm-hmm. we are working on um, demonstrations that mm-hmm. you can book a spot for in advance, and then come out and have a small, like your your 
sort of household bubble, mm-hmm. um, work with one of our staff to do a heritage demonstration like butter making or ice cream making. And mm-hmm. we're going to um, be working with some of our partners in the community to hopefully have maybe wood laid demonstrations and things like that. So uh, we might, uh, we're getting creative mm-hmm. and we're mm-hmm. going to be releasing the details on how to book. Um, so usually uh, when you book in advance or something like that, uh, you'll have to pay a small fee, I think mm. three or five dollars. Um, and then we would obviously not expect you to leave a, an admission donation, no. but it's just to encourage you to show, show up, up for your yeah. booking. <laughs> so yeah, those will be on special weekends, usually long weekends. So we're starting that the May long weekend. Ah, why? Do yeah. What a coincidence. I know. Now, just so people know, are there different sort of time frames involved for the different activities? Like butter making is maybe a half hour. Ice cream making is 45 minutes. Yeah, they're usually, know. they'll. it'll be all on our website. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to see and pick and choose sort of if you want to do a couple of the demos or if you don't want to con- to commit that time, you don't mm-hmm. have to. Um, yeah, certain things take a little longer. Ice cream making is not made in in the blink of an eye. No. Certainly <laughs> not the old fashioned way. Anyway, so um, yeah, there'll be time frames. So butter usually takes. Well, I mean, the other thing is. Where a normal butter demonstration at one of our public events would take half an hour or so. Mm-hmm. Um, butter making goes a lot quicker if you make less butter. So, okay. <laughs> so sense. you know, you can make butter in 10 minutes or so mm-hmm. uh, with a small group if you're just making a little bit for them to taste and take home. So um, probably butter making would be something like 15 minutes, but ice cream, maker, ice cream making takes a little longer. You can't hurry ice. No, no. <laughs> I was just thinking as well, because both those as well, if it's a smaller group, I'm thinking the person doing the butter making or the ice cream making might think I can take a little bit more time to explain exactly what I'm doing because I'm not talking to 30 or 40 people. I'm talking to a small group. Yeah, I mean, the thing about um, some of those things is that there's always a little downtime where you can yep. talk about the history of the of the activity and... Mm-hmm. Um, I make butter a lot with people and I talk a lot about dairy and (laughs) people, you know, it's a little surprising how few people or how many people, I guess, don't really realize how common products are made. Um, You know, they don't realize they know it comes from milk, but they're not sure how. (laughs) Are any of the houses out there going to be open for tours? Uh, So we are offering guided tours this year. Um, Tour size is limited, of course, but we also have several options if you'd rather not have a guided tour. So Mm -hmm. we have uh, self-led tour brochures that you can request if Mm -hmm. you want to explore on your own. We also have signage up last year and this year so that you can wander around and read signage as you go. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... We have the store will be open, of course. The Hubble House is open. Mm -hmm. All the buildings are open. Several of them will have occupancy limits. And a reminder that inside all of the buildings, uh, masks are required. Uh, We recommend uh, children under 12 also wear them. Um, But new this year, we'll have the Salmon Valley Post Office open every day. So if you've ever come to Hubble up in the upper parking lot and noticed a red building... That mm-hmm. is the Salmon Valley Post Office. Originally, it was in Salmon Valley. It Makes was sense. dismantled in the 1980s and carefully logged and rebuilt in the parking lot at Hubble Homestead in 2000 with the help of several grants. And so that house, uh, that 
building was a house. It was also a post office、mm-hmm. and a government library、um, in the 1920s. And so it's important to the region and it's a really beautiful little building. And we have a really lovely display inside about the Giscombe Portage and、uh, John Giscombe and、um, <laughs> the shortcut. <laughs> Is.、Mm. Is it a working post office? Like, can not, you get stamps? You can't get not stamps. Not any longer, no. no.、Okay. They, we have examples of the stamp that they,、yeah. the post stamp.、Oh. Um, and, and you may also not know that Hubble Homestead itself was a, a post office, had a post office for two months. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also have a stamp, a、uh, Giscombe Portage postage stamp that、uh, Hubble and Seabock used for a couple months before things kind of wound down out there. Yeah. Yeah. So then, what are some of the other events that are on this weekend? Because I know when we were talking. Last season, which was the real wacko season, if you will, in terms of event scheduling,、uh, one of the things you said that you were able to still do, you figured, was scavenger hunts. Yeah, so we have a lot of self, we have a self led activity every weekend.、Um, so, what you can do when you come out any day from Monday to Thursday, you can take part in our treasure hunt, get、mm-hmm. a sheet from the general store, explore the historic site, do the treasure hunt, get a prize. From Friday to Sunday, every Friday to Sunday, there'll be a new self led activity that's a little more involved than your, than your average treasure hunt. So,、mm-hmm. um, some of them include, like we did last year, a、uh, spot the difference where you had to look in exhibits and find items that didn't belong、mm-hmm. in the time period. We had several scavenger hunts, which we'll have、mm-hmm. scavenger hunts again this year. We've got,、um, Watson weekends, which are,、um, <laughs> essentially like, Mini,、uh, how should I say this?、Um, clues and st- you, you follow clues、yeah. and try to solve a little mystery.、Um, and then we'll also be hosting on the Saturday of Watson Weekend. We'll have Sherlock Saturday, which will be a ticketed、um, activity that you can book in advance and it'll be a little bit more、uh, in, in depth. depth. Yeah. yeah. And so it, that would be with your. Your household bubble, and it would take a long,、um, you know, a, like a more concentrated amount of time, and then you'd get a prize for that too. So,、okay. Sherlock Saturday and Watson weekend sound like they're going to be a lot of fun.、Yeah. Um, and so, the whole schedule is on our website, hubblehomestead.ca. We'll, of course, be advertising things as they come along.、Um, and then on long weekends in particular, and、um, the whole week of Canada Day,、uh, we will be doing.、Um, Extra activities and,、um, bookable demonstrations. And,、mm-hmm. you know, we'll probably have some live ambient music throughout the summer on those, on those special weekends. And yeah, so hopefully it'll be like a slow return、mm-hmm. to some of the things you like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Crystal, we need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about something brand new、mm-hmm. at Hubble,、uh, starting May 22nd after nine. Be online at the end of May to enjoy musical offerings from Cuba, Sweden, Canada, and New Zealand, all from the comfort and safety of home. The BC Choral Federation Core Fest 2021 is available Friday, May 28th and Saturday, May 29th through bcchoralfed.com. Featuring the most international lineup of presenters in the festival's history, it's a must for choral music fans. BCCF Core Fest 2021, Friday, May 28th and Saturday, May 29th. Early bird registration is available through Saturday. At bccoralfed.com. 
If you're in charge of a volunteer organization, you probably find yourself looking for answers in different areas. The Vantage Point can help with their program, Talk to a Consultant. Whether you need support with strategic or operational planning, performance management, recruitment, assessments, or facilitation, the Vantage Point is there for you with Talk to a Consultant. For more information on Talk to a Consultant, go to thevantagepoint.ca. Kickstart your spring with FitNation. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is pleased to present a five-part workout series brought to the comfort of your own home. Fit Nation leaders will guide you through each workout, providing options for each exercise in introductory, intermediate and advanced movements. Take on the 30-minute videos one at a time or tackle them 10 minutes at a time. The five-part Fit Nation workout series. Find it on YouTube on the iSpark Fit Nation channel. Most not-for-profit organizations generate revenue from a variety of sources. The optimal mix depends on your current programming, your strategic priorities, and the skills, expertise, and capacity of your revenue development team. When considering your ideal revenue mix, an important consideration is the time and resources required to generate $1 in revenue. To help, the Vantage Point has a downloadable worksheet. Find your Revenue Mix Worksheet and other downloadable tools under the resources link at thevantagepoint.ca. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George, this is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So Crystal Hubble Homestead Historic Site, to give it its official name, Mm -hmm. opening May 22nd for the long weekend. Yeah. And there will be something out there that... People have not seen before. No, it's no. pretty extra special. So yeah. you may know that Hubble Homestead has three children's books, mm-hmm. uh, th- children's history books. Mr. Hubble builds a house. Mrs. Hubble grows a garden, mm-hmm. and Mr. Seabock in the new store. And there is a fourth title being added to our children's history oh. book series. This one is called CP and the Fish Camp, and it focuses on a young Clately Tanay girl and her family as they move throughout their territory um, over the course of a year as they gather resources and food for the winter. Um, and it all builds up to their time at the fish camp. Um, so that's the, the real tie to... Our mission at Hubble mm-hmm. Homestead is that there was historically uh, a Clately fish camp at the northern bend of the Fraser River, just a couple kilometers north of where Hubble Homestead is now. Uh, and yeah, this book is um, a, a long time in the making. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a few early setbacks um, and we finally... Um, we got a rhythm going. We worked with two really incredible artists. Uh, Cliff Mann has mm-hmm. done watercolor illustrations, and Jennifer Pagan of the mm-hmm. Clayley Nation had um, created in First Nations designs for every um, painting, which Cliff then painted in. The illustrations are incredible, just mm-hmm. beautiful. I love them so much. And then as part of the story, we also have incorporated Dekath vocabulary words. So Dekath is the uh, traditional language of the Clately Tanay. Um, and the Clately dialect of Dekath is spoken by only three or four people um, as a result of, um, you know, cultural colonization and cultural assimil- uh, assimilation. And so we worked with Clately elder Edith Frederick to, um, she provided us with uh, vocabulary words that we incorporated in Dekath. At the beginning of the book, you have um, a 
pronunciation oh, guide. I was so, about to ask. <laughs> yeah. So it says the decath word. It tells you what it means in English, and then it sort of breaks it down for you to pronounce. Mm-hmm. It's a little tricky. Um, most of the words are not that difficult. Mm-hmm. The problem is the LH sound. Like, even in Clately Tanay, the LH really throws everybody for a loop. And <laughs> it's difficult for English speakers because it's a, a sound you're supposed to make by pressing your tongue to the back of your teeth and then sort of opening the sides of your mouth. It's kind of like a, like a expert, I, yeah. I don't know how to say that. Like, you sort of expire a bit on the sides of your mouth and it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, an L sound with a sound. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the most important thing is to try. Yes. <laughs> and we're working with Elder Frederick um, to record the vocabulary. So eventually mm-hmm. you will be able to visit our website or possibly her YouTube channel and um, hear the vocabulary words spoken by a Clately elder so that you'll know how they are pronounced. Okay. Yeah. So now what level is the book written to? Um, well, we target it to ages three to eight. Mm-hmm. So obviously, a three-year-old needs to read it with their with yes. an adult. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's really a beautiful book. It's great for anyone that loves local history, local art, or anyone who is a decaf beginner. Um, and so, yeah, we just really want to get local history in the hands of children. And this is one of the very few um, books that put Clately history into kids' hands. Um, And so we couldn't have done that without the help of our funders on the project, um, the Building Community Resilience through uh, Arts and Culture Program through the province of BC Mm -hmm. was the major funder, as well as Northern Health Imagine Grants and the Regional District of Fraser Fort George Endowment Fund, Area G. Mm -hmm. Um, So they are actually what has made it possible for us to donate 200 of these books to Clately members. Um, So if you're a Clately member listening and you'd like a copy, you can contact the downtown office on Brunswick Street and either arrange a pickup or for them to mail it to you. Uh, we are donating, I think the count is somewhere around 82 so far to Indigenous education programs within School District 57. Wow. Um, so those are getting delivered tomorrow. And um, then the rest will be for sale to the general public on the 22nd. So we're really excited for people to see this really beautiful book. And not that I'm going to try to suggest that people should not go to Hubble to buy the book. I'm guessing they can probably find it at other places around Yeah, town. so you can buy it uh, at Hubble Homestead, of course. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to buy it at Books & Company, our partners there, yeah. and then also at many of the gift shops of our partner museums, so the Railway mm-hmm. and Forestry Museum, Two Rivers Gallery, um, Mackenzie and District Museum, um, Valley Museum and Archives, Vail uh, Mount Museum. The Golden Raven? Uh, the Northern yeah. Roots Partners, yeah. Oh, that's what they call it now. Yes, uh, we rebranded okay. <laughs> from North, from uh, yeah, Golden Raven the, to Northern Roots. Because yeah. you started to list them, and I was going, wait a minute. I yeah, remember you these. Hear, I, you I've know done stories folks. about them on the Golden Raven, but she's yeah. not saying the Golden Raven. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, they'll be uh, for sale there, and then um, they're only $10. Wow. So it's really, really can't yeah. beat it. And especially because you're getting artwork from... Jennifer Inez Piggin and Cliff Mann. Yeah, uh, artwork is oh, not cheap no. <laughs> because you got, and you know, we even got a deal from them. So I, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> you know, that's where the funders really come in. And um, so, yeah, we have this beautiful book that is obviously really not intended to make money. It's intended no. to, um, you know, 
get local history into kids' hands. And the good news is that Mr. Hubble Builds a House was uh, out of print for a few years. Mm-hmm. It's back in print, huh? so you can get all four if you want. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so Crystal Leeson, Executive Director of Hubble Homestead. One more time. Opening day is? May 22nd. We'll be open 10 to 5 every day until September 6th, I do believe, mm-hmm. the uh, Labor Day yep. Monday. Uh, dogs are welcome on a leash. You can get lunch at our general store at the barbecue. You can bring your own picnic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can bring your family. You can um, come in by donation. And we're 40 kilometers north of Prince George, just off Highway 97 on Mitchell Road. For more information on our activities and everything else that you might want to know about visiting, uh, visit our website, hubblehomestead.ca, and it's Hubble with one B. Crystal, thank you very much, as always. (laughs) Take another quick break and be back with more after 9. The BC Schizophrenia Society has a brand new podcast series shining a light on the voices of mental illness. Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined takes a close look at the reality of serious mental illness and the role we can all play in helping those who live with it lead the most productive lives possible. Full details are available through the education link at bcss.org. Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a new podcast series on now through bcss.org. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council's Sport for Life program has cost-free learning now available online. Movement Preparation Part 1 is a self-paced e-learning course which introduces the concept of movement preparation, identifying key components, explaining the role it plays in physical literacy, and providing practical strategies for integration. Registration and full details are available through iSpark.ca. The iSpark Sport for Life Movement Preparation Course Part 1 now available through iSpark.ca. Studio 2880 and Arts North announced the launch of the Arts North Digital Studio, podcast, live stream, video and photo production, audio and video editing, design, illustration, animation, and much more will be on the workshop schedule in the post-pandemic future. For information on this exciting creative space, contact artsnorthbc at outlook.com. And remember, the Renaissance took place during a time of chaos and plague. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, a high of 16 with a high UV index. Increasing clouds tonight and a low of 6. For Wednesday, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers and a high of 15. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. And switching our shift, shifting over to the arts now for... Uh, our next guest, uh, Melanie Desjardins, uh, an artist I've interviewed a number of times, but Melanie, is this the first time I've actually interviewed you on the radio? I think so. I know we've done many others live, but that was in the good old days. <laughs> yes. Now, you have got an exhibition of your work over at the Railway and Forest Museum. Now, I do. That, that's an that's an interesting location for an art exhibition. Is this the first time you've exhibited there? You know what? I didn't even know that they had an <gasps> exhibit space. I mean, I know they do their own exhibitions, but mm-hmm. um, apparently just this last January, they had a show for the Federation of Canadian Artists mm. on display there, which I should have been a part of that one, actually, but my mother unfortunately passed away then. Oh, but um, Yeah, so... Uh, so they had a show there for a couple months, and then Karma Vance has just had a show. So I'm following her up. But apparently I'm going to be the last artist for possibly quite a few months because they've got their own um, mm. you know, scheduled lineup. 
coming on board after that. So. Yes, I think yours is up until I want to say early July. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if she actually had an exact date, but it mm. sounds to me like probably about the first week into July. Okay. But yeah, I was very, very happy that they invited me to mm. to show there, and of course I said yes. <laughs> yeah. And now the show is called Diverse Explorations, a Retrospective. And I figured the easiest way to do this is let's just go through almost word by word. Diverse. What's diverse about the exhibition? Well... <laughs> To be honest, because I was asked only about a month and a half in advance, I um, I very fortunately have a bit of inventory to draw from. But mm-hmm. since I have been creating art here in Prince George for about the last 20 years, I thought what I could do is just pull from some of my inventory, so to speak, mm-hmm. and um, pull, you know, curate some pieces and pull it all together into one exhibition. But if anyone who knows the type of work I do. <laughs> I started off with watercolors, but, but, you know, eventually my husband and I have had a sheet metal company here in town for about 25 years, and and over the years, of course, I used to think, wow, there must be something that I can do with all this <laughs> stuff that gets tossed or, you know, things I would find on the floor and whatever. So I did start doing a lot of um, found object work, mm-hmm. a lot of assemblage um, uh, you know, just just mixing it up. I, I like to play with a lot of different substrates and, you know, different mediums. And, yeah, just, I, I like to play. <laughs> <laughs> when you start a piece, no, almost no matter which medium you're working in, do you usually know when you start what it's going to look like? Or is it just sort of put this here, put that there, put this here? Um, this it's usually together. a serendipitous thing, mm-hmm. generally speaking. I mean, it depends on the, the medium I'm working yeah. within. Uh, a lot of people tend to know me from my paintings on metal, which is, mm-hmm. you know, primarily what I've been working on these past few years. But um, but I still mix it up. You know, I'd be a gallerist's worst nightmare if they carried me because... You know, I like to I like to do a lot of different things, and and they usually like people staying in the same genre. But that's not my that's not the way I roll. No. But um, no. What was your question? Is do I know what everything is going to be? No, yeah. absolutely okay. not. It's it's usually because sometimes a piece might take me a year to finish, mm-hmm. and it just you know if I do a little bit here, a little bit there. I know that would drive most artists crazy because most of them can only work on one one thing at a time and, and work on it till it's finished. But uh, I tend to let works evolve, and I think a lot of the times as an artist, a little bit of what you are at the moment gets put into it and it help, helps develop it further and further. So, yeah, it's kind of how I work. So then that leads sort of to my next question. If that's the way you work, how do you know when a piece is finished? Well, that's a very good question and probably a pretty tough one for most artists. But I think it's, for me anyway, it's, I mean, sometimes something just happens immediately, you know, Mm -hmm. rarely. But um, as a matter of fact, I did have a piece sell already (laughs) on the first day. And it was a charcoal rubbing that I had done against a a wormwood log. Mm -hmm. And it just came out looking like three men. And I called it Heroes. And apparently a man from Edmonton bought that the first day, so now I'm going to be replacing that piece with another one. So <laughs> I guess not only is this a diverse show, but it will also be an evolving show. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll have to be replacing that one on Wednesday, tomorrow. So was this then 
a self-curated show, if you will. Like, you took the works in, and you basically were the one who figured out where everything was going to go on the walls? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Maria was quite happy about that. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I was actually, I had 27 pieces, Oof. and I thought that I would be having to cull a lot mm-hmm. because, of course, you know, I'd rather have more than not enough at yeah. the space when I'm going to set up, and oh, I'll just bring those home with me. But as it turned out, everything fit perfectly. So I panicked a bit when this piece sold because I had told them, I said, well, sell off the wall. If people come in from out of town, they want it, let them take mm-hmm. it, you know, <laughs> I'll just replace it. <laughs> but now it's like, oh dear, now what am I going to put there? <laughs> yeah. But I, I figured it out. Now, when you were doing the curating yourself of the work, Diverse Explorations, did you have to sort of keep in mind COVID stuff? Did you have to, did you have to leave a little bit more room maybe between the pieces? Not really, because I, th- I think the um, museum themselves are monitoring that. Mm. They they have signs right on the door um, that basically they only allow so many people in at a time. Right. And there was discussion that there may be some sort of a reception after mm. the May long weekend if any of the rules relax. Mm-hmm. Whether that happens or not, I'm not sure, but... Um, but even for something like that, they'd probably still have like an event maybe outside and then allow so many people into view at a time. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I don't really think that was a, a consideration of how I hung the works. You know, it, it just kind of had to fill the space, yeah. <laughs> you know, and didn't want it to look empty and you don't mm-hmm. want it to look too crammed, too, uh, yeah, full either. Yeah. Did you find it to come together fairly easily, though? Like, as soon as you... Did you start with, say, some of the bigger pieces, saying, okay, I know I want to get this one in, and I've got to get it over here, and then work from there? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much exactly. Because I I do have... um, I knew that the one wall at the front, Mm -hmm. uh, they said, had good backing, because I had some rather heavy pieces. Uh Mm-hmm. that were some of my assemblage works yeah. that were part of my Pathos series that I had done that showed up the Two Rivers uh, a few years back. Um, I still have three pieces left from that. but So anyway, I had a lot of those heavier pieces that I knew had to go on that wall because of the, the backing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically where I started. And, and I, I tried to group my genres like I have my watercolors in one area and some of my mixed media works along the one wall. And I've got my OCD series, which was all on um, kind of like geometric pieces on metal that I I uh, did a whole series a few years back. So, you know, I, I tried to kind of group them along the walls and it worked out just absolutely perfectly how how the room fit them all. Okay. We are going to take a quick break, Melanie. When we come back, we want to talk about the rest of the words in Diverse Explorations, a retrospective after nine. Hope Air is delighted to announce support from the Radisson Hotel Group to provide free accommodations for patients who must travel. Radisson Hotels has donated 5.8 million Radisson Rewards Points, about 150 nights worth of accommodations. These Rewards Points will be used to book hotel stays for patients who are in financial need and have to travel long distances to reach medical care. The free accommodations program from Hope Air is in its third year. To find out more, visit their website at hopeair.ca. Summer Creativity Camps at Two Rivers Gallery are open for registration. 
Week-long camps are available for children ages 5 to 13 through July and August. Full-day and half-day camps will explore a wide range of mediums and themes. Visit tworiversgallery.ca or their Facebook page for full details. Then get creative this summer with Two Rivers Gallery Creativity Camps through August at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Last summer, as COVID-19 created economic hardship for creatives everywhere, a variety of charities were set up to offer assistance. With the backing of Songwriters of North America, the Songwriter Fund was created by songwriters for songwriters. With the repercussions of the pandemic continued to impact the music industry, the fund is still accepting donations as it gears up to provide another round of much-needed relief to songwriters. To learn more about the fund or to apply or donate, visit songwriterfund.com. It's National Nursing Week, a week of celebration of the nursing profession, an occupation that has most recently been pushed to its limits due to COVID-19. The BC Nurses Union is asking everyone to join them in recognizing the crucial role nurses play every single day across BC. The union is providing a series of virtual self-care events that focus on the well-being of nurses throughout National Nursing Week. The full lineup of the week's events can be found through the National Nursing Week link under latest news at bcnu.org. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So, Melanie, we've talked about the diverse part of diverse explorations. Was the explorations part you digging through all of the artwork you've got at home to figure out what you were going to put in? Yeah, pretty much. There's a, there's only two pieces that are in the show that I actually have not for sale because one of them was a piece that was in the Spark exhibition at the Two Rivers about almost, oh, maybe 12, 15 years wow. ago. That was a long time. But that was a piece that I kind of hold, mm-hmm. you know, it um, was just one of those personal kind of pieces. Mm-hmm. And... Um, What's the other one? The other one I had actually made reproductions of, so I want to keep the original. Mm -hmm. So, but otherwise, everything else, I've just, you know, I figure if it sells, I just make more, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what we artists do. (laughs) And then the retrospective aspect, you were saying you grouped them by genres when you were doing the self-curation. Do those genres sort of reflect as well different periods in your art history? Um, definitely the watercolors, because I don't really do a lot. Every once in a while, I'll just, you know, go in and play a little bit with watercolors mm-hmm. still. But, um, but yeah, so the watercolors were very early on in my career here. And, um, you know, then I started getting into the, the uh, found object art. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to share something that was kind of funny with the found object art, was I had started doing that about... I don't know, 12 years ago, something like that, where I just started collecting pieces and thought, no, I should make some art with that one day. (laughs) And um, so I ended up with an entire exhibition of pieces that were made with, you know, found objects or kind of off-the-wall stuff. But but when my husband and I were in Toronto a couple years ago at the uh, AGO, and there was an exhibition there that was called Arte or one of the rooms anyway had Arte Povera in it and I didn't know what that meant (laughs) and it translates to poor art and apparently (laughs) in the 60s in northern Italy there was a bunch of artists that kind of collected in the industrial areas 
and started creating art with, um, you know, found objects. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of fun. So now I have a name to kind of put to what that whole yeah. <laughs> genre is. But, um, but yeah, no, I just kind of whatever blows my hair back. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I have a studio in my house. Yeah that I do a lot of the smaller work in, and then we have a large shop in our backyard that my husband graciously uh, allowed me a corner of it <laughs> that I can do my messy work in, and and it, there's quite a lot of stuff I've got out there. <laughs> yeah, so over time, eventually it'll become art. Yeah. Now, you were saying that as work sells at this exhibition at the Railway and Forest Museum, you're going to be replacing them. So are you going to be trying to replace them then with like to like? Like if you sell a watercolor, would you try to replace it with another another watercolor? Yes, I think that's kind of how I would want to do it because, of course, again, like I say, I had a little short panic thinking, oh, dear, now that piece is going to be gone and... (laughs) What am I going to put? <laughs> but I figured it out. It, it took me a while. I had to. I had to go to sleep on it and woke up in the morning with the light on. So it's all good. <laughs> and, then you, and then you dug around the house a little bit more to make sure you had five yeah. or six backup pieces for every one of the groups. Well, you know, we I, I do have some works at our sheet metal shop in the office mm-hmm. there, and I have a few works at home still. And now I work from home as well. But um, but I also have a some stuff stored at my gallery still that is not open but you know there's stuff on the wall there so i do you know Mm -hmm. i did have quite a you know a varied uh varied places to to collect works from but it was just a matter of putting it all together where it kind of made sense and Mm -hmm. looked looked hopefully pleasing (laughs) so if you get a call from the railway forest museum and they say hey we sold four more pieces today you're not going to be panicking I might a little, yeah, because yeah. I still want it to to show well. Yeah. You know, you don't want a, a dog's breakfast of just um, no. anything going anywhere. Size was a, a consideration, too. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will all be fine, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Melanie, Diverse Explorations, a retrospective out at the Railway and Forest Museum until July. And I'm just going to say, if you find out more about whether there is going to be, like, an artist talk, I guess I would call it, after the May long weekend, make sure you get in touch with me. Sure, and I can do that. And definitely mention that on the air. Melanie, as always, pleasure to talk with you about all kinds of different art stuff. Thanks, Have a great Alan. day. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, got a couple of minutes to go yet. We um, COVID numbers. Seem to have a reasonably good handle on them again now, right now. About 150 active cases, it seems, in the Northern Health region. So uh, these numbers are not bad. We will see in about a week whether there might be any sort of a spike from people getting together in larger groups than they should have for Mother's Day. You never know. No. Um, I got my shot on Friday. Good for you. Yeah. So a friend of mine called me on Saturday to see how it had gone. I said, uh, you know, it hurts where you got the shot, which, which is one normal. Did you get? Uh, I got Pfizer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, the only other thing that happened was my right arm fell off. And I said, which was unusual because I got the shot on the left arm. And he said, well, you, you won't be able to play the violin anymore, will you? And that was his only reaction. Well, there you go. 
which I, which was not unexpected from him, actually. But no, I got the shot. Um, and then again, the problem is they give you that nice little sheet, which spells out what some of the possible side effects are. Mm-hmm. A lot of the side effects, like tiredness and stuff like that, were stuff I was already feeling before I got the shot. So, but I'm, I'm not feeling any more tired than I did since I got the shot on Friday. Uh, they were saying, as I was getting ready to leave from getting the shot itself, I said to the woman who administered it, so it's about four months or so. And she said, yes, they'll be in touch with you. She said, it might be a shorter time period than that, depending on how much vaccine we get. We may be able to actually start moving the second shot up a little bit more, mm-hmm. which would be nice. Get it out of the way. Well, I don't think it's out of the way. I there's going to be more shots down the line. Yes, that's what I heard somebody saying was um, it may end up, they may or may not be able to, I've heard some people say they might be able to incorporate it into like the regular flu shot in say a year or two, or it might still need to be two separate shots. They don't know because again, they're still uh, working separate. on this. I would, I would figure separate. Yeah. And But at least you could get them at probably at the same, I don't know if you'd be able to get the them the CEO that came out and said, you're going to have to keep, yeah, keep getting these vaccines. Yep. Six months down the road is your next one. Yep. But uh, that'll just about do it for today's show. Uh, I am on, of course, tomorrow with Steve on the board again, and we are scheduled to be chatting with Brian Menounos from up at UNBC about glaciers, Laurel and Murdoch with the UNBC Timberwolves about the fact that they are going to be excuse me, back in action September. And then Jesse Church will be in to talk about golfing for ALS. And that's all tomorrow, After 9. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're tuned to Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Supported by community groups like Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Civic Plaza.